Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. From the Canada Land Podcast Network, I'm Jesse Brown. This is Canada Land. Today, over one year after the New York Times moved aggressively further into the Canadian news market, seeking exponential new subscriber growth with an incremental new investment in Canadian journalism, where are they now? How have they continued to prosper as our own news media has floundered? And how have three reporters working out of their bedrooms and claiming to cover a country the size of Canada competed so successfully against our own newspaper of record? What that tells us about their whole deal, even. It's Monday, April 23rd. Or, or later. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by the Sonos Home Sound System, the Sonos One Smart Speaker. I have a couple of these things at home. They sound incredible, and they're compatible with Amazon Alexa, the easy-to-use voice service for hands-free control of your music and more. Sonos is offering listeners of Canada Land 10% off of an order up to $2,500. And you can't combine that with other discounts or promotions. And it is for listeners of this podcast who use the promo code 
Canada10 Canada at Sonos.com. Check it out. This episode is also brought to you by a live performance coming up here in Toronto from Continuum Contemporary Music. The show is called Hockey Noir, the Multimedia Opera. This is a show about the classic Toronto-Montreal hockey rivalry in the 1950s. It has it all. Organized crime, lust, scandal, blood, and betrayal. And this is playing May 10th and 11th at the Jane Mallet Theatre in Toronto. For tickets and info, go to continuummusic.org. And because you listen to the show, you'll get 20% off of general admission. Again, that is Continuum with two U's, continuummusic.org, promo code CanadaLand for 20% off of Hockey Noir, the multimedia opera. Uh, hello? Allie Graham, it's Jesse Brown with the CanadaLand podcast. How are you? Fuck off. I'm well. Okay. Ali Graham, you're a producer here at Canada Land. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like I sound anything like Michael Barbaro, or is this a shtick I should abandon? I mean, I think it really depends on how far you're willing to go. Like, are you moving to New York? Ali, thank you for talking with me today. I know you're on a tight deadline. Great. Catherine Porter the Canadian Bureau Chief of the New York Times, will join me in a minute. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Alison Walters, Matthew Watkins, Emma Govan, Moira Farr, Pamela Grote, Arik Thajmeyer, Kenneth Boddy, and Melissa Legault. My name is Melissa. I'm calling from Montreal, and I work in marketing. I have always found your critique and stories exceptionally eye-opening. The fire that really lit me was the Thunder Bay Project. All this talk about truth and reconciliation is good, but the fact that bullshit like this is still going on against First Nations community is appalling. Let's get to the bottom of it, step up, and do what is right for God's sake. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does 
BetterHelp. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. The Great Courses offers online learning, lectures, courses on a multitude of topics. You don't have to stop learning when you're done with school. In fact, that's kind of when I'm most open to learning new subjects. And unlike other courses you're going to find online where you have to sign up for an entire course before you get access to the lectures, you don't know if you're going to like the course or not, or, you know, the free stuff you can find on YouTube, which really is mostly unwatchable. The Great Courses is beautifully produced from some of the top academics and experts in the world. And it's subscription-based. You get access to their entire expansive library of incredible courses. If you don't like one course, you can just enroll in a different class and check that out. They have over 10,000 lectures to check out. One course they think that listeners of this podcast might enjoy is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, Techniques for Retraining Your Brain. This is not just about learning. This is about actually using tools that this course will teach you to be more motivated, to break bad habits, even how to sleep better. And because you listen to this podcast, you can check out that course or any other course for free for a month. Go to the Great Courses Plus, spell out the word plus, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash CanadaLand to claim your free month of all-you-can-learn education. Finally, this episode is brought to you by FreshBooks, our founding sponsor, freelancers, small business owners, anybody who hates doing their taxes, FreshBooks is made for you. It makes it a breeze. It saves you time every time you use it. It saves you time at the end of the year when you're doing your taxes. It gets you paid quicker. It is worth every penny. That's why we use it twice here, or at least I do. I use it personally and I use it for Canada Land. And I was using FreshBooks before they were a sponsor. Their tool has only gotten better and better in the years that I've been using it. It is the leading software for this. It's used by over 10 million people and businesses around the world. And you can try it out for free for 30 days. Unrestricted free trial for listeners of this show. Go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand and enter CanadaLand in the How Did You Hear About Us section. I wanted to talk to you when I read this one thing in the Canada letter where Canada was referred to by the Times as the largest and most engaged international market. This is true. What does it mean? It means that if you look at international subscriptions and subscribers, by far the largest percentage outside of the United States internationally are Canadians. More than 27% of the international market is Canadians. And those Canadians don't just read one article. They read many. They absorb and click on and listen to the podcast. So they're engaged with what... New York Times calls the report. They read a lot of articles. They go into lots of different sections. They're not just one-offs. That is extraordinary. I mean, the New York Times, I imagine, gets a lot of international traffic. 27% of that international... Are we talking about subscriptions? We're talking about web visits, podcast downloads? Uh, We're talking if... No, I have to make sure I'm not wrong about this, but I'm like 99% sure subscriptions, digital subscriptions. 27% 27% of your digital subscriptions are to Not can- of, of international digital uh, of subscriptions. Of the international, yes. yeah. yeah, yeah. Like obviously, the, the large percentage, the largest percentages are Americans themselves. Right. But if you look at the market of the world, Canadians are by far the largest subscribers. And I would have to imagine that 
the New York Times has a much bigger international subscription base than probably just about any other newspaper. I think so, yeah. Well, that explains a lot. Is that as a result of this recent push into Canada, or was that what brought the New York Times to kind of redouble its efforts in Canada? Now, I'm the, totally the wrong person to be talking about this. There's a whole team who just does these numbers, right. you know, and I'm, as a journalist, I don't get into those meetings very often. But uh, I do know that it was already the biggest piece of the international pile. It was Canada before they started this push, which was just over a year ago. And it has increased since then. I mean, not at huge percentage points, but it is increasing. So they knew that this was a market that Canadians were really interested in the product that the New York Times was offering, both interested in, in news in the United States clearly, mm-hmm. um, but also international news that the New York Times offers, which um, you don't get from as many sources anymore. There's not as many uh, English language sources that have 30 bureaus around the world that have deep, rich reporting. So um, that was already the case, but our push has had a lot of positive feedback too. I mean, this goes back a long ways. I remember it being a treat on the weekend to pick up the New York Times and it's almost like a Canadian tradition to read the weekend paper. But am I wrong to think that this is sort of the Trump bump, the New York Times, while a lot of newspapers' fortunes are dwindling and subscriptions are going down, there's a handful of papers that were able to demonstrate this is where you want to be to follow this insane and incredible story. And if you notice that the Canadian market is so robust for you, if it's on fire, pour gasoline on it. Right. This all sound about right? Yeah. I don't know how much of it is the Trump bump. Obviously, the Trump bump the last quarter of 2017 was incredible for for the Times. I think it's not only the Trump reporting, but the Times last year, if you look at the Pulitzers that just won, one was a reporting on Trump and yeah. the other was the Me Too sure. stuff, which was, you know, was not hot, was not something that was really enterprise investigative reporting. Um, so I think in part... Yeah, obviously, what, what's going on in the United States is of interest to Canadians. But I, I think that this expansion into Canada, which is quite small if you look at it in terms of a newsroom. There's three of us right now who are based in Canada. But this expansion would have happened regardless. I think that you know, the Canadian news industry is in a steep decline. People in the United States at the New York Times saw that there was a market here. Mm -hmm. And obviously, we're not going to replace local media because we don't do local news. But once people turn to the paper, the thought is that they get hooked on the product that it offers, which is deeply reported, analytical, uh, beautiful photos, lots of lots of digital stuff that you don't get elsewhere um, in one place. And as you say, there had already been... Was it Ian was here prior Ian to Ian had been reporting for The Times for 10 years already. He was a, a contractor, so he was hired full-time. Mm-hmm. I was uh, brought on. I had been a reporter at the Toronto Star for many, many years. And we've just brought it back veteran foreign correspondent who's been in Europe for more than 20 years, and he's moved back to his hometown of Montreal. And he did a really interesting, which you should look at, he did a 10-day road trip around Quebec, Mm -hmm. um, which sort of showcased, I think, alternative journalism and what the Times can do. He drove around um, 
to four different places in Quebec. He did Facebook posts, Instagram posts. He did some Facebook Live. And the coverage in Quebec was enormous. Mm -hmm. They had call-in shows, people calling to give him advice of where to go. The coverage of his coverage. The coverage of his coverage. I mean, I think there's always something in Canada, um, which I think is amplified even more in Quebec. was like, oh, you're noticing us. You're noticing us. And there's still a little bit element of that. You know, it's been a long time since someone's been based in Montreal. And Quebec is really interesting. And we don't read that much about it in our national newspapers about Quebec. So doing deep, interesting reporting in Quebec, I think, is a win-win-win. Yeah, that's sort of embarrassing that that is a vacancy. That's sort of a a place where if you're looking at let's not do what the existing Canadian news organizations are doing, let's do something different. Simply reporting about Quebec is something. Where yes, there's... it's so true. I mean, if you don't read French and don't read La Presse, you don't yeah. you don't really get very much. There's good columnists in the Globe, and there's a good reporter, but still, it's. Yeah. It's very small. And we're as guilty of this as anyone. But, and I think, but... like, it's not just Quebec. I mean, I flew out to do a story in Haida Gwaii. Having been in three Canadian newsrooms, I know right now, like, it's very hard to travel for stories. You know, some of it's just resources. Like, the, the newsrooms are retracting and travel budgets are cut. And so, you know, a lot more stories are just Toronto-based as opposed to looking around the country. And the New York Times has more of a budget to pick certain stories and go big with them. Dan Levin, is he? You said there's three of you. Is that, that doesn't include Dan. So there's three of us now. Dan was covering. We had two other Americans from um, New York flying in. Both mm-hmm. of them are no longer doing it. Craig Smith stepped away a while ago, and Dan Levin has just recently done his last story because it made less sense to cover Canada from New York. Right. You know, so they stepped in before, as we were ramping up and started setting up a system where there's more than just Ian covering the country, and then they've moved on. That's kind of interesting because there was one reporter before, now there's three, but there was no real sense of there being... Well, there was no Canada desk. There was a Canada reporter who was a, a contractor. Right. And now there is a sense that there is a very robust Canadian presence for the New York Times. But we're just talking about hiring two more people. As Canadian bureau chief, Catherine, what do you do? I'm just one of three people who cover Canada for the Times. So, you know, I'm supposed to be leading the coverage. But, you know, we have a really seasoned reporter in Ottawa, uh, Ian Austin, who does a lot of that, too. I don't edit. I'm still a reporter, and I'm expected to sort of keep on top of breaking news in Canada and look for enterprise pieces that will be interesting for Times readers. Here you say that you're not an editor, but probably if we had to pick somebody at the Times who has more say than anyone else as to what the Times covers in Canada, probably be you. And you're sort of the de facto editor-in-chief of New York Times in Canada, you have a bit more clout than like even a David Walmsley in, in a certain sense. If you decide to cover something, that has repercussions that might even exceed the same coverage from our own newspapers. But I don't direct anyone. I don't have a staff. So Ian covers his own what was inter- of interest to him. And Dan in Montreal covers what's interest to him. I don't assign. I don't edit. I don't line edit. I don't copy. Like there's nothing like that. As a lead in Canada, I'm expected to, A, if something big happens, to be on top of it, and B, to help um, the desk back in New York talk about what's really important and what we should be covering. So all of the power of an editor-in-chief with none of the responsibility. Uh, well, it doesn't feel like there's that much power either because <laughs> you don't have any staff. You remember that part? If you so, wanted the New York Times to cover something in Canada, it would get covered. It would get covered. That's a lot of power. Yeah. If I if I see a story and I really think that we need to cover it, it will get covered. First, I want to talk about you because you are not a parachuted in New York Times reporter. As you say, you worked for the Toronto Star. 
I was surprised when you were the pick, and that's not any comment on you as a journalist, but I know you and, and you've described yourself as a journalist who is also a social activist. Right. And your beat at the Toronto Star, you wrote a column where you dealt with social justice and you unabashedly, unashamedly identify as both an activist and a journalist. Right. How do these conversations play out in your <laughs> negotiations with the New York Times? Do you identify any differently in your in your role as head of the New York Times Canadian uh, coverage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was at the Toronto Star, I wrote a column, right? And I did features. Actually, I I always kind of did both. So I wrote a column. I did big features in Haiti. I did big features about, you know, the death of a little girl who was two or covered someone else's funeral. So I would jump back and forth. And when I did a column, I knew my role was as a columnist. And you can take a, a firm position in that. The Star, despite having some issues, recently has a deep history. Like, look at Michelle Landsberg. She was an activist columnist fighting against uh, strontium and uh, atomic bomb tests oh, and collecting yeah. teeth. So there's like a huge history. We so, had a piece listing all of the activist yes, journalists. Yes, totally. It's so, total bullshit. It's, so it's totally I, compatible with the Atkinson principles. Yes, but in the case of Esmond Cole, it seemed to be a problem. Yes, exactly. I, I so when I moved to the Times, I knew that that was part of the deal. I wasn't coming as a columnist. I don't write columns. I write as a regular journalist, as a reporter. So I can't put my opinions in them and I can't take a stand. It's also meant that when there are certain things that traditionally, traditionally in my own activism was very, personal activism was very community-based, right? Mm -hmm. Like I started a residence association in the East End. I started a farmer's market. These are not political things. Um, But I've stepped back from all of those things anyway as part of my agreement to join the Times because they have a very strict ethical guidelines that you cannot I see. play in both camps. I see. You had to choose and you chose. I chose, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And does that past ever come into play? I mean, to the extent that you represent the New York Times point of view in Canada and you're covering Canadian issues, might someone like say, oh, I don't know, Ezra Levant say, look at who your person is in Canada and I should expect fair coverage from you? Uh, has this ever been... It hasn't been a problem so far. I haven't heard any anything like that so far. I don't expect it to be a problem, to be honest. If you write a column, you're a columnist, you're supposed to have opinions. If you don't, you don't. Like, right. And that's sort of the rule of the game. Most journalists know that. Ezra might not be anticipating favorable coverage in the New York Times anyhow. Listen, I don't think that I'd be the person that would do an interview with him. I, I think that given we have yucky history, it'd be smart for me to recuse myself and have someone else do that. It would be. But of course, that's the interview I want to read. <laughs> you alluded to this earlier. Canadians are hyper aware of what other people are saying about us. Mm-hmm. Give us a choice. Do you want to listen to Canadian music or American music? And nine times out of 10, we'll choose American music. Nine times out of 10, we'll watch an American movie or watch an American television show. And I look at the podcast rankings and I'm glad that Canada Land is up there. But at number one is New York Times, The Daily. Mm-hmm. And the other nine shows are all American. Mm-hmm. Canadians prefer American content that way as well. Mm-hmm. And whenever Canada got mentioned in The New York Times, that was of a lot of interest to Canadians. Who are you covering Canada for? Are you, as a Canadian, covering Canada for Canadians? Or are you covering Canada for Americans and Canadians who care what Americans think of us? I would say the first two out of the three. 
So are we covering for Canadians? Yes. Um, are we covering for Americans in the world? Yes. Any story that we cover has to, uh, as Ian has said before, has to be a story that warrants New York Times coverage. So that would fit in the report along with stories from Caracas and stories from Egypt, you know, and the like, uh, and, and Boko Haram in, in Nigeria. It has to be a, a solid international story that will be interest to the world. But of course, we want to also speak to Canadian readers, and so bring them stuff that's not necessarily that they don't necessarily see in their in their in their regular reading, if, mm-hmm. whether it's the CBC, or the Post, or the Globe, or whatever they're reading. You know, I think the thing about the Times that the Times does really well is depth and analysis, right? So you can get a deeper, broader story that has philosophy and has some history in it, which you don't get very often in your daily report. If you look at the CBC, it's sort of usually quick, quick updates and not as thorough. So our hope is to speak to both and not write stories that Canadians would read and go, ugh, that's like totally not right. Or that seems like, you know, someone who doesn't understand us. It's some, some that have enough nuance and depth that Canadian readers will also read and go, wow, that's super interesting. That's hard to do both of those things. I think it is and it isn't. We do, we pick and choose. So it's, I think it's hard to do on really quick hits, for sure. Yeah. You're competing against other people whose beat is that. But if you're doing larger feature stories that have nuance, then the times will pick and choose and go deep. I did a story on the Yazidis and how they were settling. And I looked at Yazidis in Richmond Hill, and then I flew out to Calgary, and I saw that they were having these traumatic episodes where they were dropping and seemed to be having seizure-like episodes, and no one knows what to do, and the national government doesn't isn't really putting the funding or the support in, and the local supporters who work as in settlement agencies have never seen anything like this. You didn't read that anywhere else. Yeah. There's no one else that did the breadth and the depth and looked at the history and interviewed the guy in, in Germany. And, you know, so there's just there you can really go deep on certain things. You just have to pick and choose. I mean, there's going to be tons of people who do magazine journalism or in-depth features that are going to say like, oh, bullshit, that only the Times can come in. Here. Yes, but, that's true. Of but there's course. enough to cover that they can do a, a great in-depth story and you can do one that can be on different things. So 100%. I guess like, you that know, works. Okay. So, some more yeah. Depth analysis, deep dives, not quick hits, not breaking news. But We do do some breaking news. Too. You do. Like, yeah, if there's the, a bus crash, everyone yeah. in the world wanted to read that story. So, of course, we reported on it, too. And we'll be quick. And, and you know, in those stories, I don't think that if you lived in Regina, you would be going to the New York Times for your news on that. You knew that the Star Phoenix was like your local paper. They had six or seven people that would be out covering that. That's where you would go. Yeah. You know, and me as a, as a Canadian journalist, that's what I would be reading, too. You know, I'm reading the CBC that has five people there. I'm reading the Star Phoenix. So I, in my perspective, when we do a really quick hit that's big, big news, we know that we're reporting mostly for international audience. I think you're right and wrong. I think that you're right that people would go to their local news source for all that granular stuff. Yeah. But I think that people who are local want to know how the world is looking at them, and they would read that, right. too. The things that are interesting about Canada to New Yorkers or to an international audience are not necessarily the things that are interesting to us. And there are missteps. And, you know, the New York Times is notorious for this in in, in other respects as well in the kind of like late to a trend like, you know, on a downtown street, Cronuts, you know, delight two years after Cronuts, right? right? And, you know, not to hold you personally responsible for every misstep, but there was this story on Ottawa a sleepy Ottawa neighborhood wakes up and there was a photo of people shopping at the wine rack. And this was like, here's where you should go. This is a little inside tip for you. The wine rack is where right. you buy your wine in Ottawa. 
and and other times more seriously getting the tone wrong. Last June, six months after the mosque shooting, there was this piece that was widely derided, Canada's Secret to Resisting the West's Populist Wave. And to whatever degree, a kind of Pollyanna-ish glorified vision of Canada is attractive to an American audience. This seemed to feed into that, ignoring that it was us and not America. That... But I would point out that there was a piece about the wolf pack, Le, Le Meut, yeah, in the New York Times far before it was anywhere else. You know, yes. and it had a profile of that guy, you know. And so the the Times was, you know, looking at that, I think, deeper than I saw in our local coverage. Well, that's interesting, too. I mean, both things... Uh, are true. <laughs> it's not great when you try to do some kind of insidery thing and get the tone wrong. Or, yes. But it's also, it's very positive when you cover something that is newsworthy that everybody here missed, but it does bring up other questions. And it's not merely a question of analysis or a deep dive. Right. You guys have broken major news stories in Canada that we should have, the Canadian media should have gotten. I mean, when Dan Levin looked at the political donations that Christy Clark was receiving, this absolutely absurd regime where there was no accountability whatsoever. There were tons of follow-ups from other Canadian news media. Right. And I know that it's sort of important to you to say, we're not here to compete with the Canadian news media and they do their thing and we do ours and there's more than enough news to go around. But a good reporter can't pass up a story like that. And if no one's touched it before, it makes it all the more attractive. I have to imagine that we'll see more of that. I mean, we should see more of that. Right. Well, we're hoping. I mean, we have to do more investigations, and we're looking at that, too. And Dan Levin's piece, I mean, there had been some reporting on it locally, but no deep, deep dive, and also looking at it with it from an international lens. Like, this is insane. Sometimes you, know? you need to step back from You it need to, to step it. back to sort of say, like, how is this possible that this is how it works here? You know, yeah. and I think we are fish in the water sometimes, and it's a story that you think, oh, that's just the way it works. But, yeah, we're looking at doing, you know, some investigations, too. I'm not going to tell you what they are, but we're in the midst, and... We, we need to do both. We need to do features, some quick hits, and also investigations for impact. I mean, the, the Times is really interested in impact journalism generally. There's this quote here. <laughs> it's embarrassing, said uh, UBC's political science professor Max Cameron of the Dan Levin thing. The New York Times is saying the emperor has no clothes. It's one thing for people here to say it, but it's another thing when it's publicized globally. Right. There's a, a Yiddish expression, which is not politically correct, Shanda for the Goyim. Uh-huh. Like, it's one thing for us to criticize each other, but don't right, tell the right, outsiders right, right, that. Right, 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 uh, right. I can bitch at my mom, but you can't say anything bad about her. Yeah, I, and that is also, I think, a very provincial Canadian type of ethic of like, you're giving us a bad look. Yeah, I think that's probably universal. Sure, sure. I think we're all like that. I had an editorial in the New York Times recently, and I thought it was just fine. But the response to it, people were saying, this is the best thing you've ever written. And I'm like, I'm not sure it's the best thing. Like, <laughs> I think just being in that font under that masthead adds like 30% of perceived intelligence to anything. Uh-huh, <laughs> you know really I mean? cool. It's a, it's a good place to write, right? Like <laughs> yeah. seeing yourself talked about in the New York Times, like you're, you're not conscious of these dynamics. You don't worry about that. No? Oh, uh, me? When like, I see... Like when you're writing no. about Canadians and, and no, exposing I, the foibles to the world. And... I don't I don't think about the... You know, it, it is true that it's a much bigger megaphone than I've had before, mm-hmm. but I don't... I try not to let that change how I'm reporting or what I say. I think the truth is the Times is super vigorous in terms of editing and the expectations of fact-checking. And I've been really bowled over by the amount of work and expectation of work that goes into basic stories. Like, normally when I was working at the Star, like, it would, the expectation is you'd come in, you'd report for the day, and then you'd write your story. Ba-boom! And as craft masters took over editing, it would sort of disappear from the building. And yeah. you might hear something if there was, a, you know, but you probably wouldn't. 
this is a, a way more intensive. You know, they really take the uh, the idea that they are the paper of record very seriously. So you are expected to do incredible fact-checking to know a huge amount about what you're writing. And the editing is fierce. You go back and forth quite a, like an astounding amount, I think, as a Canadian journalist. It's a dream. You said earlier that you're not in competition with Canadian news. We can't be in competition. There's three of us. You know, we cannot be in competition with the Toronto Star or the Globe and Mail or CBC, which has people stationed, you know, in northern... Northwest Territories and Nunavut, there's no way we're going to compete uh, on a granular level with local reporting. Here's some recent headlines. Uh, Canadian town reels after bus crash kills beloved hockey players. The story about Christy Clark is one that I'm sure the CBC or the Globe Mail would have loved to have had first. Justin Trudeau regrets people kind. I made a dumb joke. Um, stung by U.S. tariff plan. Canada takes a deep breath. Canada struggles as it opens its arms to victims of ISIS. In Canada, a perfect storm from Me Too reckoning. I could see any of those stories in any of these other news organizations. Sure, sure. I mean, uh, th- there are some stories that we do that aren't in other places, and there are some that I think we're going to cover NAFTA, right? Like it's mm-hmm. a big international story. It's in- of interest to not just Canadians but Americans. So, of course, we're going to be covering stuff with the NAFTA. Ne- Me Too, I have to realize, is like a global phenomenon. So you get stories about Me Too out of China now. All over the states, we'll be looking at it. When you see trends that are global, because it's the New York Times and we cover the world, we'll look at that global trend as it surfaces here too. That's not enterprise journalism. That's not the stuff that we're necessarily setting ourselves apart. But we have to realize that we're speaking about Canada for Canadians and also for an international market that's interested increasingly in Canada. Canada's become in large part because of Trudeau and people loving Trudeau, although the bloom might be more off that rose yeah. or falling off that rose. But internationally, there's interest in him. And that's put the and also I think the juxtaposition between him and Trump has put Canada on the map internationally. And, you know, our government has made it kind of uh, very clear that they see in the global shifting of power, there's a place for Canada and the Canadian model to step forward. That's of interest to Canadians. You know, we're not used to our government having a scrappy foreign minister who goes up against uh, the United States and talks in the House of Commons about, you know, the history of Canada playing this kind of role. That's not, we're not used to that, I think, since the maybe the 50s or 60s, you know. That's of interest to Canada in terms of how we represent ourselves. But I think the world is more interested and international readers are interested in Canadian stories. Oh, it's a perfect storm. The world's interest in Canada. Canada's interest in the world. Canada's interest in journalism. You know, uh, you mentioned earlier that increased investment in the New York Times in Canada is a result of the decline of Canadian journalism, that sort of their fall could be your rise. There's an opening. You know, there's, there's an opening. Space, yeah. That, mm-hmm. in, in the market, yeah. right? And then things that used to be just true for Canadian newspapers where every newspaper had to have a movie critic and every newspaper had to have columns about large social trends or what's on TV. Well, you might say that the New York Times does a better job of that kind of stuff. Right. Um, travel journalism and service journalism. Food. Food, crosswords, right? right? Like when you're deciding to subscribe to a newspaper, let's not kid ourselves that you're just buying a local, you know, granular local news source. You're buying an entertainment package. You know, it's this whole thing. You are in competition. The New York Times All Access is uh, digital subscriptions, eight fifty a week, fifty percent off uh, for first year. Globe Unlimited, five ninety nine a week, ninety nine cents off for the first month. Right? Maybe in a perfect world, you've got a customer who gets both, but. I'm looking at that. I'm saying, well, the New York Times is a whole lot more paper, a lot more that I read in the New York Times. 
850 versus 599, you're absolutely making a play for those readers. And you're, but, I mean, that sure, is. Sure, but there's, again, we're going back to three of us, but you're right, the full report. And when we bring someone like Sam Sifton up, the food critic, people are nuts for him. Yeah. They love him. He's got an international market. Like, he, he, readership is all over the world and all over Canada. People love the food app. They love his, you know, like they love his writing. He has a he has a letter that goes out, I think, three times a week, two or three times a week. It's really, really, really popular. Bringing him to Canada is not, I don't think, necessarily putting an elbow in Corey Mintz's eye or, or a local Canadian food writer because he's not writing about our local restaurants. But he's got a huge following and people who are foodies, you know, probably will do both. They'd probably be interested in the getting the Toronto life and seeing what the restaurants are in Toronto and what they should go to and reading Sam Sifton about what he's going to cook on the weekend to get inspiration for what they should have for their for their um, big party, you know, for their neighbors coming over or whatever. I think that there's super niche readers who are really, really big into the times. And I don't know if those readers would have been as big into um, the globe or, or whatever else. Perhaps they are both. But it's true that the Times is investing in this stuff and most papers and news organizations in Canada like are divesting. Yeah. Your paper is getting bigger while, the, while everyone else is getting smaller. And better at like digital stuff, right? Like it looks That's good. That's the other thing. You figured out digital subscriptions in the way the Canadian papers have not. It's a digital first subscribing, you know, a model. That's this is not rocket science. In every other industry, economies of scale have dictated that an American industry that serves a market that's 10 times the size, if allowed to come into Canada, will crush the Canadian equivalent. That's but, happened in every but, industry. Sure, but it won't. And you're talking to a, like a daughter of a book publisher. So, But we'll never replace the local news. Like I'm a journalist. I worked at the Toronto Star. I worked at the Vancouver Sun. I worked at CBC. I am a big believer in local journalism too. And I, I think that we're never going to cover council meetings. Why are you never going to cover that? As, as a New York Times? Yeah. that's just huge amount of... First of all, school board meetings are hardly covered locally anyway. Yeah. Anymore because it's a huge amount of muscle that you need. You need people to sit through school board meetings. Have you sure. ever... You know, or council meetings. And as a former city hall reporter, I know you sit there for hours and hours and hours and you might get pulled out of one or two stories. But that's so just it, it, is that shoe leather reporting, feet on the ground is expensive and there's no way of doing that expensive. but hiring a lot of people. Yeah. For the cost of two employees, the New York Times is giving the, the Globe and Mail a pretty damn good fight for two employees. Right. You, you've given, like, if a consumer, and there are consumers who are only going to subscribe to one digital newspaper, you've given them a real tough decision, whether it's the Globe or, or the New York Times, and you've done that for the cost of two reporters. I can conceive of their trend continuing downwards and the de facto newspaper in Canada being some combination of, I mean, we've got you guys here, we've got the BBC making a bigger investment here, the Wall Street Journal's made a bigger investment here. Why wouldn't it be like everything else where 10 years from now, Canadian news is actually foreign news? Listen, I worked at the Toronto Star for a long time. I would hate to see the Toronto Star go under. I am a big they, believer. They basically said they're going to. It breaks my freaking heart. You know, I think local shoe leather reporting is really, really, really important. And I cannot see a future that the Times hires as many people as required to to cover each place in Canada. There's just not – I don't see that happening. Maybe you're right. 
I mean, we could come back. Let's come back in 10 years and, and have another conversation. Because <laughs> I just, I don't, I, I don't think that, I know that that's not their plan. No, I know I, that's not the way we cover. You yeah. Know, we, there's been no evidence that we're, I, I don't see that as my, um, those sources as my competition. So I think it's just better for everybody if the local news media figures out a model to keep it going. That'd be great. I but, mean, that's what we – you figured out a model, so, like, you know, we all we all need to really be supporting local media, too. You got it so nice. You can say, well, there's a ton of government-funded news in Canada. That's not our thing. We get to pick and choose. I guess I'm kind of curious where this is going will raise a certain question about the relationship between news readers and news sources. What is your promise to Canadians? You're not saying we're here to publish everything that is fit to print in Canada – that's not the New York yes. Times promise to Canadians. I know, but I'm, I'm just interested. I mean, that's a really interesting question. As a, and I'd have to sit here. I'd love to have a drink with you and like talk about it philosophically because it seems like a really good dinner. Somebody party left discussion. a bottle of scotch. <laughs> uh, we can do that. But um, you know, the New York Times has really sizable bureaus in London and Hong Kong, right? Mm-hmm. But they're still considered international papers. We have three people in Canada. I know that there's two in Senegal, let's say, and that person covers, and the main West Africa bureau chief covers all of West Africa. What's the difference? Like, why would Canada be any different than, let's say, like Caracas? And because you're not interested in, in the Senegalese the people, market. You're just and, you're just reporting news from Senegal to Americans uh, and, and, and Caracas. Okay, and, but how about Hong Kong and London then? Because those are English readers. They've published the Times in Spanish now. So uh, there's a hope that Spanish readers will also start turning international times. I don't know what the plans are. I can't envision an expansion big enough to warrant that kind of contract with readers, mm-hmm. as you discussed. But it's a really interesting question. And again, I think like in 10 years, let's have a conversation. You know, Let's bring the scotch. But I don't see us covering Canada any different than the Times covers England or think about Europe, like how many people read in English. So I don't see it as any different. I would be astounded if we got to the point that the Times was the paper of record, as you say, for Canada. It may just be the only paper. <laughs> Let's hope that it's not. Catherine, thank you. Thanks for having me. That is your Canada Land Show. I hope you liked it. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is canadalandshow.com, and we post news stories that you won't find anywhere else on that website all the time. We have a new episode of Canada Land Commons, our flagship politics show. That is coming out on Tuesday of this week. Check out our crowdfunding site at patreon.com slash canadaland. Editorial assistance this week from Olamide Olanian. Welcome, Ola. Managing editor of Canada Land is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. And if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. 
And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.